Good evening. Can y'all hear me? No? How about now? Good? All right, good. <clears throat> Welcome. Um, I'll be doing the, the lesson for tonight and the next couple of weeks. So um, <clears throat> we are going to continue our study of the Bible in seven passages, the one that James started a couple of weeks back. We're going to be discussing a time in the future. It's approximately the year 2050 where technology has reached its full potential and you will see all kinds of stuff. Let's have a quick prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to have this day and we thank you for the many blessings you bestowed upon us. Please um, bless our study tonight and help us to gain much knowledge from the things that we hear and do and say here. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that I in his name. Amen. Okay, here we go. The Bible in seven passages. Our passage for the night is going to be John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. The promise revealed. As I said earlier, we're talking about a time in the future where Technology has reached its full potential, and all kinds of things are going to be happening. You're going to have driverless transportation, as you see, on-demand delivery of almost anything you want or need, food, clothing, furniture, education, entertainment, even medical attention. All you have to do is contact Universal Services. They will provide whatever service you need promptly, right away. Want to take a, a lavish trip to either Greece or Italy? It's called Universal Services. No lines, no checkpoints, no stress about being late. They will arrange for your bags to be picked up, taken to the airport from, for automatic checking before departure. They will also take you straight to the plane's door. In this future time, the government major media and big tech are in cahoots with universities and our military to establish a system to gather, store, and dis disseminate all kinds of information. But there's something not quite about this system, especially for Christians. Maintaining information in a centralized location controls what ideas, books, ideas and books are stored and transferred from the quantum memory storage unit or the QMSU. Those of us that were in the military are real familiar with uh, acronyms, so we'll go with the QMSU from now on. Which is responsible for archiving and dispensing digital information to society, but this system no longer contains or distributes anything concerning the Bible. This amazing book has been deemed harmful to society because of its hateful literature it contains. Forbidding certain types of sexual activity, it promotes divisiveness, it taught that non-believers will not go to heaven. The inclusion committee has categorized the Bible as subversive propaganda, and it's no longer considered approved communication for society. <coughs> These actions have resulted in the automatic removal of the Bible from libraries, bookstores, homes, 
schools and schools. This even includes commentaries and books about the Bible. So, the question is, how would believers maintain their faith? How would you to navigate this cruel world without guidance? It would be like trying to take a trip without a road map or directions. So, we're going to study the Bible in seven passages. As mentioned a few times before, I'm sure, in the study, seven key passages have been extracted from the Bible's 66 books to assist Christians in their everyday walk in their work of leading others to Christ. So far, we looked at four passages, and we'll briefly go over those four passages from the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1, a prelude to the promise. It comprises only 10 words, but there's a lot of information there, and it tells who created the world and how it was done. <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24, God's promise to fall on man gives the reason for the fall the fallen nature of man and the creation as well as solution for man's condition and the promised Savior. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 through chapter 12, verse 7, the person of promise and historical account introduces Abraham chosen by God to form a nation through whom the Savior would come. A historical physical link between the Old and New Testament. And then Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. The person of promise, a spiritual account, spiritual nature of the mission and mission of the individual God sent to fulfill his promise to the Jews and the entire world. The promise revealed, John, verses, John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. In our study of this passage, we'll be working mostly in the, the Old Testament, but there are a couple of New Testament, I'm sorry. We work in the New Testament, but there are a couple of Old Testament passages that we will have to work through as well. So for a quick context and the, the review of the purposes of the parts of the Bible, let's take a look at those real quick here. Okay. You have the Gospels, the first four books. An eyewitness account of the Old Testament's prophecy concerning God's promise fulfilled by and through Jesus Christ. Then we have the book of Acts, establishes the establishment of the church, recorded by Luke. He was a Gentile, but he converted to Christianity. The epistles, the apostles and, and disciples' letters, 21 books, Romans through Jude. It is widely believed that Paul wrote a number of these books. These books contain instructions, teachings, admonitions, and encouragements to different churches and individuals. And then Revelations records John's vision concerning the church and its battle against the satanic forces of this world and in the spiritual realm which in the, win in the end we win. In our, passage this, in our passage this evening, there's Jesus, the promised one brought forth by the Jews, a summarization of this account and completion of God's original promise to Adam and Eve, the covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and finally the fulfillment of prophecy concerning the promised one's mission. All this is contained in what is also known as the golden verse of the Bible. And I think I read someplace as it was referred to as the heart of Christianity. 
So Jesus explains the salvation requirements, requires water and spirit in John chapter 3, verses 5. Then he refers to salvation two other ways, born again and entry into the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to him by night in secret because he feared Jesus, the Jewish leadership. He had questions about salvation. Nicodemus was a believer, but he was weak, and he had to, he had to get a clarification on some things. He doesn't understand the term born again. He's thinking that born again was a human or physical birth. So he asked a question. I'm going to turn around and read. I forgot to put it on here, so I'm going to turn around and read it. So, in John chapter 3, verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Jesus framed the idea of salvation in a way that Nicodemus, the Jewish Pharisee, could understand. John chapter 13, John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in will in him have eternal life. Then Jesus takes them back to an occurrence that happened when the Jews were wandering in the desert to kind of help them understand what he was talking about. I'm going to read that verse. I'm sorry. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So what Jesus just did here was teach Nicodemus the basics of the gospel from a historical Jewish event. People bitten by the snake had to look to the bronze serpent in order to live. Animal sacrifices were not used for this event. It was about obedience of faith. This was a passage from Hebrew scripture that Nicodemus could relate to that salvation is received on the basis of faith. The faith. That faith produces obedience, which leads to salvation. After this discussion with Jesus, after this discussion with, with Nicodemus, Jesus goes a little farther and explains how that system relates to him. So we're going to read John, John chapter 3, verses 16. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This verse links us to the the first four passages of the Old Testament. And we kind of go over them briefly here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God created heaven and the earth. Um, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24. God's promise to send someone to defeat Satan. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 through chapter 12, verse 7. God spoke and made a promise to Abraham. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 7. God spoke through the prophets concerning the Savior. So then we're going to break this, uh, this passage down here. Give us the who. That's God. And as we just read before. This tells us who. The promise. In the end. God. In the end law comes from God. Okay. And now through Jesus. We can see God the Father. And again. Is again the one who will complete the plan. To save mankind. Why did he do it? Because he loved the world. He loved us just that much that he would do it. This section goes to motivation. Why did God do this? Agape love was and is his motivation. Even though mankind has fallen away into sin, God remains the same. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Love is, his, love is his great motivation. Everyone has sinned and will be condemned for it. God loves us. God's love for us is what motivates his plan to save sinners from their sins. The word so is in regard to love. It explains that the love required to achieve this end was such that God, that only God could possess and express it and was beyond man's capabilities to do. How much did he love us? He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. This explains the extent of God's love. The depth of God's love is measured by the value of what he gave in order to secure our salvation. He gave his, own, he gave his one of a kind, what only begotten son means. Jesus, the second person in the Godhead, became a man to carry out the Father's plan. The Father gave Jesus up to the indignities of human suffering and death, as well as the pain of separation from himself in order to remove the guilt and condemnation of man was due to suffer. No living being could pay such a price in expression of love. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. The secret of the promise is revealed here. Since Adam and Eve, we know that it was sin that led to destruction and death. Here, Jesus reveals that it is faith of the promise, one sent by God, that will save mankind from death and destruction. Abraham and the Jewish nation as well as the prophets, knew that the promised one 
was coming and bringing salvation. Jesus, however, finally revealed the who himself and the how, faith of, the, of that salvation. But have eternal life. Jesus not only reveals the who and the how, but the what of salvation, resurrection and eternal life experienced by every believer. Peter says that one, that no one knew the details of God's promise, not even the angels. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Jesus clearly reveals the sum of all the prophecies and symbolisms of Jewish temple worship in one succinct passage that reveals the entire, entire plan of God's to save sinful man. So as you broke it, back, broke it down, we'll put it back together here. This is the last slide. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. And that's it. That's very quick, but that's it. Next time we'll look at passage number six, which sets forth Satan's second biggest lie. Thank you. <laughs>